coming to you live from a broadcasting pod. Yeah. In Media City. In the Media City, the hub of the, I don't know. The heart of the... UK media. The beating heart of UK media activity. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do the introduction. Yeah. Do you want me to do it? Yeah, if you like. Okay. Go on. And Rob Cutforth. See, when I usually do it, I usually say both names. Um, well, I know, but I, I like to leave you the... I'd like to give you some agency, Rob. Okay. And give you the ability to speak your own name. Okay. You know, I don't I don't see that as my job, really. I like the power of saying the names. Yeah. Well, that's the difference <laughs> between us, isn't that's it? That's right, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Anyway, I brought you a, a treat. So what's in the what's in the rustling, loud noise producing yeah. paper bag? Well, Bob? I saw these, and I thought, I wonder if they have these in America. Okay. Now I'm not sure. I've, I've been ever since I moved to the UK. I've been we have these things in Canada called butter tarts. Do you know what those are? I've heard of a butter tart. I think it's just a, I don't even know why we call them a butter tart because there's no butter in is it. Is that butter pie? In there? I don't know. Okay. I don't know what it is, but it this looks like a butter tart. And I've never been able to find a butter tart since I've been here. I think, it just means, I think it just means there's loads of butter in the pastry. Okay. Um, they're enormous. Rob has brought me enormous pastries, guys. Yeah. This so, is a really good development. So it's either. Like, I mean, it is not small. Oh, you know what? That is, mate. Oh. Is this just... It's, now, is this a treacle tart? Or is it this is like a treacle tart. tart. Okay. It's a treacle tart. I don't entirely know what treacle is. Um. So basically... Is that too big for you to have one? Because I brought a fork in case we need to split it. Okay. Yeah, I can. I mean, I'm happy to have, but I brought. I also brought two in case we want to be. Oh my god! What are you trying to do sauce? to me, Cutforth? I want. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Fat you up for Christmas dinner. Damn it. Right. Um, I'm going to the gym tomorrow, so why awesome. don't why don't I just take care of this? Why don't you? Thank yeah. you very much. Good. Um, that does, means I don't have to cut anything. Of course, now that means we're we're gonna have to chew, which means editing involved. Yeah. Okay. But I'm also absolutely famished. Oh, okay. Well, so we can do this now in in the podcast. Any week. Yep. I mean, we could have eaten before. I know. In fact, we should have done. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I'm going to take a couple bites, and then we're going to stop doing it until the podcast is over, I think. This is really the only podcast I know about where, you know, people are on purpose eating during Mm. the podcast. It's not a food podcast. No. But I've been watching American podcasts. Mm-hmm. And they get loads of things given to them by food and drink people. Okay. And they eat and drink them on the podcast. I'm, I'm just suddenly realizing that's a very difficult thing to do. It's really hard. Um, where treacle did, tart especially. Where what a did, stupid idea this was. Where did you get this treacle tart, Rob? Well, it seems that we're at Media mm. City. Mm. I'm going to have the infamous Boots. Booths? Mm. Booths. Yeah. Mm. It's very good. It's I'm not nice, sure I can stop eating it. It's a nice treacle tart. Mm. Um, I think that's what we call butter tart. Is it? Mm-hmm. it? We don't really have anything like this. But ours have raisins in it. Is that right? Mm. Which I realized would probably just turned off every single person listening. I have really nothing to add about the treacle tart. Mm. I don't have strong feelings about treacle tarts. Um, now, if you brought me one of those egg custard pastries, I would have... You know, totally flipped out on one of those uh, Portuguese. Yeah, those Portuguese yeah, ones. Those, that's that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Those make me crazy. Not very Christmassy though, are they? I don't care. Mm. 
I'm just saying I like them. Um, Christmassy pastries. I'm just saying. I'm I'm not I'm not really down with mince pies at all. And they're oh, not wow. right. I don't really mind, but. Yeah, you really are uh, American. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Christmas for me, like I like making Christmas cookies. Mm. You know, sugar cookies mm-hmm. that you put like mm-hmm. really thick icing on. That icing is so gross. Yeah, no, I make nice buttercream icing. I don't use that disgusting royal icing. We're just kind of freezes into like concrete. Yeah. And some people put those weird. Oh, yuck. And some people put those silver balls on them as well. Yeah. That just destroy your teeth. I kind of like those things. Mm. Um, I like the edible glitter that you can put on them. That's disgusting. Yeah, Yeah. this is the kind of stuff I like. Oh, right. Um, It's true. Mm. I have cookie cutters, Rob. I have a lot of cookie cutters. One day we'll find something we both like. Mm. And then when. the podcast will have to end. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and be like, oh, we've reached our natural conclusion. We have nothing else to talk about. Because mm. we both like this thing. Yeah, especially if we find something that we like that there's like, it's like a rabbit hole and there's like a hundred things that we like. No one wants to hear that. No. Um, so, what do we got Fuck. on the. <laughs> Rob's. Yeah. Have you got an eating disorder here going on, Rob? It's called being absolutely starving to okay. death. Okay. Well, mm. let's we're not do making this we're not joke. we're making proper chewing sounds that's coming through right. now. Let's take turns talking. Okay. And chewing. So mm-hmm. right now you're chewing. Oh wait, no, no, no. Take another bite, quick, okay. and I'll I'll talk for a bit. Okay. Mm. So we've got a lot to talk about this week. Sorry, we've got a lot to talk about this week. Nice. Um. We have an interview coming up with a notable author who has mm-hmm. written a short story collection and a novel mm-hmm. Clara Fisher correct um, so we'll be hearing from her later mm-hmm. but uh, one of the things you talked about a bit on there kind of chimed with a, a podcast well I wouldn't call it a podcast but a radio program that I got very excited about two days ago and sent to pretty much everyone I know yeah um, including on, me on RTE Lyric called mm-hmm. the lyric feature and what was it was called the fractured voice yeah. wasn't it <clears throat> wow very good right yeah that all that's right the um the, i think the most depressing thing about it is i already knew i said this to you already but i already knew the irish were better at r- writing than us but now i realize they're better at podcasting as well yeah it was a really good podcast yeah they had sound effects and everything yeah i think you but, suggested sound effects for this one at some point i did but you laughed I, in I, my I face i laughed your face um but, you know, this actually wasn't a podcast. It was a radio program. RT is like the British BBC. I'm sorry, the Irish BBC, right? Mm. So that's a, that's the difference dip, yeah. is that that's a, it's actually a professional operation, mm-hmm. um, whereas we're rank amateurs, of course. So <laughs> this, I, really, I really like the title, like Fractured Voice as well. Like, ooh. Yeah, it, anyway. was, it was quality from beginning to end. Yep. Um, it featured four writers, Kevin Barry, Mike McCormack, um, Emer Claire, McBride. Emer McBride and, and Claire Louise Bennett, all of whom I've read and loved, mm-hmm. um, all of whom write experimental fiction, and it was about experimental fiction, experimental writing, and what you're, how they're doing it, what they're trying to achieve. Um, I have never really seen experimental writing given so much time and attention, um, but I would say that the level of just the concepts and the ideas and the way that the depth with, with which they were sort of gone into in this podcast were, uh, you know, 
was they, extraordinarily yeah. They attempt high. to answer the question, what is experimental fiction, really? Yeah. Which is which was very uh, informative the for t- me. The piece I... was tied together with passages from Virginia Woolf um, writing, in, I can't remember the name of the essay, Bridge, something Bridge. I think um, I wrote it down. Did you know? The Narrow Bridge of Art. Ah, oh, excellent, Rob. So, See, not just a pretty face. It was beautifully stitched together with quotes from this uh Virginia Woolf essay, and I think the key thing I took away from it was that even from the time of Virginia Woolf, the thing that distinguishes experimental writing is the writers don't, they begin it without knowing where they want to get to. Mm-hmm. You know, there is no destination yeah. necessarily. Bit There's, of a spoiler alert, that one. What? Because that's, that's like the conclusion he comes up with. Well, yeah, if you want to hear how he gets there. <clears throat> right. Um, but, you know, go. please do listen to the whole thing. It also features all of those authors talking about their work, and I've never heard any of them talking about their work, no. so I was utterly fascinated. And reading their own work as well. Reading their own work very well, mm-hmm. uh, beautifully, um, and giving you some, some real insights into what they're doing. Um, and I just thought, I loved it so much because I, they all had slightly different takes on it and slightly different, um, you know, ways of, of kind of approaching their writing and talking about it. But yep. but I think that the one thing that united them all was, um, you know, trying to do something their own way. And I think the the host, I can't remember his name. Um, he's his he, was, he kind of was, uh, said it was their attempts to write the impossible. Yeah. Which is kind of the workings of the human mind. Um, and I suppose try to put what I it's, it seemed like they, they were they're trying to write down how the mind works, which is an impossible task. Mm. And yeah, I think at first he said, "Well, that's what experimental fiction is." And then after talking to the host, he, he ends up saying that it's probably it's just the it's as simple as the authors don't know where the book is going to go when they first start writing it. Yeah, the story is that right? Well, yeah. I mean, but I think that it's not just. For me, it was trying to render what what is happening, the fullness of human experience, mm-hmm. um, and what is going on in the mind and the inner life. Um, trying to render that in language, which is not possible. Actually, it's not it's not possible to put all of that into words. So they are attempting the impossible. That's right. Um, but by attempting the impossible, they can take us pretty darn far. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, they can't, they know they're trying to do something they, that is impossible. But when they free themselves up to try to do it and to throw all the rules out of the window when it comes to making sense or mm-hmm. being coherent, Claire mm-hmm. Louise Bennett was particularly good on this, I thought, where she said she's constantly trying to resist that, you know, thing inside her, which is, you know, unconsciously urging her to do things the way that they've been done before, or to make sense, or to make things clear, to clarify, to cohere. Mm-hmm. She's constantly pushing against that. And I mean, I think her, her book Pond is one of, certainly on that, uh, of, of the sections that were read, they were definitely the furthest out. Like mm-hmm. some of them just, I was listening to them, some of them were much closer for me the, to poetry yeah. than actual fiction. I'm really on that border, yeah. um, you, where you just have no idea what she, where she's talking, what she's talking about. 
she doesn't really know what she's talking about either, and yeah. she doesn't care. Yeah. Um, See, that's where I struggle mm. when I read that sort of thing, because every time I read that something like that, I think it's pretentious, and yeah. it's, uh, you know, it's selfie and uh, stream of consciousness nonsense. I need some sort of structure, I think. Um, and, which is why I, which is why I largely struggle with experimental fiction. Mm. I'm more a fan of it when it comes off as um, without effort, mm. when it seems like it's effortless and there is some sort of structure around it. When it becomes a an exercise in doing something wacky mm. for the sake of it, that's when I don't, think she's, I, doing it I don't think she is either. I don't no. think she is either. But um, I think that it's it's hard for me to to discern between the ones who are doing it to you know to discover them discover something inside themselves or you know dark places hmm. or when they're doing it just because just because hmm. yeah i mean I, the other thing that said that you know that was the real theme is that when you set out to do this kind of writing you just don't know where, what you're going to end up with kevin barry talked very touchingly about how he ended up, he found himself writing about his mother's death as a child mm-hmm. in the book Beetlebone, which is about John Lennon. Um, and he just went with it, you know what I mean? And yep. it actually became a, a huge part of the book. But he didn't know he was going to get there until That's he right. started doing it, and he just let it happen. That's right. You know See, I, I, mean? I think that I had more less problem with that one mm. than I did with some of the others because, like you say, he's more you know, a ship out in the sea, just seeing where it takes him. Whereas it seemed like Clara Clearly Louise Bennett was actively forcing herself to to be, I, I, for lack of a better word, experimental. Mm. And, and to be honest, I can't. I shouldn't say too much about it because I've not read uh, Pond. I mean, I I have read it a couple times, and I really loved it, but. It's not an easy book, mm-hmm. and people I know hate it. Like, so it's definitely one of those, either you love it or you Is hate it? it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so but, how do you know, then, that what something's doing, when someone is is really out there like that, that it's not an exercise in pretension? Like they're just Well, being... it's a fine line. You yeah. know what I mean? I was at an experimental poetry night uh, festival the other day, and I was thinking, wow, you know... So, I think for me, it's a feeling of, does it have a sense of being consistent within itself? Uh, yeah. Like, is, does it not cohere? Because yeah. I don't ask that it coheres, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. to kind of anything we expect it to be. But it has to have, it has to create a kind of world that is... That's got rules. Yeah, that kind of, not, not rules, but just that feels like a whole thing, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Um and it has to kind of reinforce itself with wherever it's going, you know. Okay. Um, and and that. So, so you don't think it's rules, like even if it's like you know crazy rules, for instance. Like for instance, I think one of the other um, uh, books where they uh, Solar Bones, when he's writing from a, a ghost oh, perspective. Oh yeah, that's great. Yeah. And he said that. Full stops. That's right. So I, I can I can understand that as well, where he's doing it for yeah. a specific reason because he doesn't use full stops because he thinks that's how a ghost. Yeah, a ghost would not participate in time the way that we do. Right. So there's no kind of rules like that in right. pond at all. Like, like, no. like, how do you? How are you consistent then in the world if there's no 
no rules at all. Well, I'm not saying there are no rules. I haven't studied Pond enough to know what it's... <laughs> I want to see your you thesis, know. Kate Feld. No, damn it, Rob. Um, I don't know what... There must be something. But there is, there is a consistency of style and tone, of voice, mm-hmm. and a consistency of gesture. I can only... That's the only word I can really use for it, mm-hmm. um, in that the kind of trajectory that the the writing goes in um it's really startling like it's a really startling book full of writing that kind of switches back on itself and you know one minute it kind of you know really wrong foots you the next minute you're like oh i'm completely with you Mm -hmm. you know it just dips in and out of being able to fasten onto it so it's a really unsettling experience because One minute, you're thinking, oh, God, what the hell is going on here? I'm not getting this at all. The next minute, you're really feeling it. And it's almost like that the experience of reading it and experiencing it is dis- like disrupted mm-hmm. throughout. Um, it's a very, it's a book about, like, there's a real discomfort. The general kind of vibe is that the this is a woman who has gone there is a narrative framework it's a woman who's who's in a house by okay herself. so there's at least that yeah yeah no she's she's in a house by herself in ireland and she's kind of going crazy so that the border lines between her and the, the external world and the right. environment are are Blurred. blurring you know in this fascinating way mm. um but there are a lot of things about writing someone who's kind of falling apart um like in order for it to be a skillful or effective representat- representation of someone, the inside of the mind of someone who's falling apart, it shouldn't really be coherent. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But that's that runs counter to how we expect reading to be and how we expect it to go. And she really pushes that boundary, you mm-hmm. know. So I, I don't know. I find that book um, really interesting uh, to talk about. And it was mm-hmm. nice to nice to hear them do it. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's that's that sorted, isn't it? I guess. <laughs> I don't also update. I yeah. don't think I can eat any more of this. Oh Look, I did well though. Damn I it. We should have that's it. why I asked you at the beginning, and then I could have cut it in half. And I, I, and I wouldn't be such a fat ass because I can't eat that now. I've eaten a whole one to myself. Well maybe I'll I'll save it for later. And plus I I'm, I really shouldn't because I have to go to the dentist tomorrow. Oh really? Yeah. I think I blame I I have tooth pain and I blame you. Why? Because we were so smug after, um, listen, we didn't. I, we didn't actually talk about it on the podcast, did we? It was afterwards. We had oh yeah after the <laughs> la, after we recorded the last podcast, we went off and had a proper smug fest about mm-hmm. the state of our teeth in comparison with our British friends. I know. Um, and I'm not. I don't know how karma, much. Karma, man. Yeah, that's right. So I I was uh, feeling quite good about myself, and. Why are you looking at the water like that? Because you bought sparkling water up. You don't like sparkling water. It's not that I don't like it. It's just that it's really loud. It's the loudest water you can That's get. That's right. It could be like sound effects. Right. So we could, this could be like the RTE oh, okay. radio. This is this is our sound effects? Yeah. Okay, see if you wow. can... See if you can... Uh, now put that really close when it's bubbling. Ooh, that sounds good. Yeah. It's all right. It's, you know. I think you're supposed to talk over the sound effects. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I'm going to drink over, over yeah. the sound effects here. Anyway, some of the other things we were going to talk about, as I recall. Okay. Do you want me to move on to more important this things? This is then? the thing we want to we want to move on to. Just not, not something more important, but something, something well, else. Uh, okay, so is this the wasting your life in a full-time job thing? Yeah, we were going to talk about that because... Uh, 
well, it came up in in your discussion. It did. Um, with this week's author, and I think that it's something we've also been talking about. Yep. Um, perennially, being employed writers, how to kind of do get any writing done whatsoever yeah. while you have a, a full time or mostly full time job. Yep. Um, but it came up in our discussion, uh, yeah. me and Claire Fisher, um, because she's um, she's had some interesting jobs that she's had to work, and she's now kind of found a, a way out of working. She can actually write for a living, almost. But she's she's doing a PhD at the same time, so that's bringing some money in. But the idea, she said that it's hard to not let a job suck all your creative energy. It is. Out. Um, yeah. I mean, it really is. And I think that, like, that's why they say don't have a job that's anything creative. Um, just have a really menial. When you say they, was that me that said that? No. <laughs> sorry. I mean, just the, the kind I did of, say that. <laughs> the, the writing forefathers of old, conventional right. wisdom, etc. says basically, you know, have a job that's really different from from doing creative writing. Yeah, digging dishes, ditches. Well, it's like, you know, if, if you're trying to make it as a painter, you don't want a day job that's like painting bar signs or something, no. right? that's right. So you want to save up all of your painting energy and, and inspiration for actually doing your art. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting to talk to you about this because you've just kind of recently taken on a full-time work. You were uh, a full... I, I was almost used that horrible phrase gig economy, but yeah, you were you had multiple things and they were all writery. Yeah. So do you find now that you've got uh, a full time job that isn't? Yeah. Well, I guess it is. It's not a full time job. It's not full time. No. Mostly full. Three days a week. Oh, three days a week. That's loads. Yeah. Um, do you find that you have more or less creative energy when you're done now than you did before when you were hustling? Um, I think that I have. More creative energy, but less energy, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, so you, you you fall asleep with the pen in your hand. Just yeah. <laughs> I have, I'm also uh, stepping down as editor of The Real Story. Ooh, um, big, news. big news. I didn't know about um, that. Yep. Yes, indeed. We have agreed this month that Adam Farrer mm-hmm. will take over as editor of The Real Story, effective at the end of this year. Right. So um, this will be now the first time since 2006 that I have not been running a writing project right? Okay. or organizing some yep. kind of writing thing. Um, and that is because when I took this job, I realized pretty quickly that I had time to do one other thing. I could do my own writing or I could run the real story, yep. but I couldn't do both. So um, I think that will help a lot because I do have to, you know, editing other people's essays and kind of doing admin and stuff like that. It does take a lot of time and energy. So I think things will be better for me when I'm just doing this job and doing my own writing. Right. That's the hope, Rob. Yeah. Is it? Are they replacing you at the real story? Yeah. Well, Adam's gonna be. I know you. I know, but it was you and Adam before. There, we're talking with someone. Okay. Um, who, but that's kind of not finalized yet. All right, final. We'll just edit yeah, that bit out. Yeah, we just have to wait to wait and see. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, it's really hard. And then, you know, so there are a number of different philosophies of this. Some people say, you know, you get up at five in the morning, you just, you know, and I hate that, like, 
If you're not getting up at five in the morning to write every morning before you go to your job mm-hmm. at nine, you mustn't really want it enough. You know? See, I don't know about that. I think no, no, no. I hate morning, that. People, yeah. No, what I'm saying yeah, is yeah, yeah. I, are, I don't Do people like actually it. say that? Oh, yeah. Some people are like, right. you know, listen, it's this whole mentality I, I can't stand, which is like, if you really, really, really want to be a writer, then, and you're not making it as a writer, then it's your fault. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You're obviously not working hard enough. Have right. you been getting up at five in the morning every yep. morning to write? It's like, fuck off. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a single mother with two kids and yeah. a fairly serious job. I don't mm. have the energy to do that. Yeah. You know, like if I can, if I can write more days than not, I'm yep. real happy. And mm. if I can spend some time at least thinking or writing on the project every day, then I'm doing great. And that might just be thinking about it and writing some notes down. But as long as you can get your mind around it every day, I think that's important. Yeah. Know? Well, it's also important to get the words down, though. It is. It sure is. Yeah, and you're not going to get the novel. words down if you're not getting your butt in the seat, you yeah. know, to, to do it. And that's the problem. Yeah. I'm a lunch break guy. Yeah? Yeah. Mornings, forget it. I couldn't possibly. I think Sophie McIntosh, who was the... Get, she did that. She gets up in the mornings. I think Rosie Garland does as well. Rosie Does morning her morning person. pages. Yep. Um, that's just something that I couldn't even imagine. I couldn't even fathom doing that. And I haven't got kids mm. or any other really well, you might responsibilities. Be a late, you might be a late night guy. Maybe. Right? Yeah, no, I'm not that either. Okay. Because I'm 44. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. 11 o'clock rolls around and uh, it's uh, lights out, man. Yep. So I guess the solution is to just... Figure out what works for you and try and be systematic about it. Try and make a routine out of it. But I just wanted to share this list of famous writers (laughs) and their jobs. Okay. Because I found it somehow cheering. Okay. Um, I just like to imagine each of these writers being completely wound up, annoyed, bored as hell at their jobs. Just imagine each of them doing these jobs. So maybe they're taking um, that kind of anger or boredom and... Yeah, we don't we don't think of T. S. Eliot as a <laughs> bank guy, but he worked in a bank. Oh, gross! I do, like, right? Oh, do you? I really? think that makes perfect sense. <laughs> okay, yeah. moving on. Yeah, Philip Larkin worked at Hull University Library. He's a librarian. I I, again, so. I think that makes sense. Yeah, does it? Yeah, these aren't weird jobs. Well, Stephen sold insurance. Come on. Okay, that's a bad job. That's a bad job. That's a. That, I mean, that there's that that's a goldmine for stories. Yeah, well, I know, but it's also a job that presumably involves like having, actually having to do stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I know. That's Whereas pain. William Faulkner was the night supervisor at a university power plant. Wow. Yep. And wrote As I Lay Dying. Like, but that's great because obviously no one else is around. You probably oh, don't have much to do. That's a, sw- that's a sweet job. Right? right? I think. I like it. I'm almost jealous. Okay, best one, though. This is my favorite. Kurt Vonnegut. He was... Different times, a publicist for General Electric. Ugh. And he managed a sob dealership. Oh my God! <laughs> really? Yep. Ugh, sob. Like a I mean, sob dealership. I mean, a car dealership. A, sob dealership. a car dealership is, so is depressing enough as it is, right? A sob dealership. Yeah, Did they even make right. those anymore? Yeah, it was apparently one of the first sob dealerships in America. Oh, like Christ. Yep, that's right. And your buddy Stephen King. Oh, yeah. Do you know some of his jobs? Uh, he worked at a 
like a magazine, didn't he? He wrote some kind of horror magazine thing. I didn't include magazines. Oh, you didn't read? Okay, okay. You no, know, most pe- most um, writers have worked le- in magazines. Uh, or a lot of them have. Well, he was, he's, he's in Hicksville, so I would have thought some kind of farmhand. Janitor. Oh. Gas pump attendant. <laughs> Holy shit, so did I. industrial laundry facility. Oof. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah, I can totally see him doing that. Yeah, that's and, that's why he can kick out the books like they're. But actually, no. This is my favorite one. Octavia Butler, mm-hmm. science fiction writer, was a dishwasher. Yeah, lots of us have been dishwashers. Yep, but hasn't? she was also a telemarketer. Okay, Oof. sure. Lots of us have oh, done that. Oh, that's though. the worst job. I've done is. that. But the best. She was a potato chip inspector. That's sweet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And she I, got I, up at two a.m. However, you'd have to be. You have to try really hard not to get poisoned. Because green potatoes, green bits on potatoes, apparently is massively poisonous. That's that's forty four year old allotment Rob speaking now. That's an ur- some kind of weird urban legend. I think it's actual truth, because when you plant stuff in your allotment, they say don't if it's got green on it, don't eat it because you'll die. Yeah, I don't know anything about this. That's why they don't have green on potato chips anymore, because they're they they used to have green on the potato chips when I was a kid. Green on the potato yeah. chips. You get what a couple with about? like green bits on. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Green the, bits not and anymore. tips. Okay. Everything's perfect now, Kate Feld. No blemishes on things. Yeah, that's 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 when we need to worry, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, anyway, I've just wheeled off that list of writers and their jobs to give us all good cheer and courage when we <laughs> go to work, punch the clock at the potato chip factory. Yeah. Um, knowing that... No one's going to remember that we worked in a potato chip factory one day when they're reading our deathless prose, right? That's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Or lifeless. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah, okay, so then we've got this article in the TLS, our favorite publication. We have actually bitched about this This very, very article. Yeah. That, well, not this one with this person, but this feature they have in the TLS. 20 Is, questions. Yeah, I have, a, I have the theory... Uh, if you're not familiar with the 20, TLS 20 questions uh, interviews, I I don't even want to give them any. Pro- I don't want, I don't even want to send people to watch to go and read them because they're horrible. But we have to basically. Um, it, it starts out with like, well, who's your favorite author? And it's just, it's these kind of shotgun questions. And I find that the I I think there's a correlation between people who are interviewed who you can tell really hate it. And how good their writing is. I think mm. the more they hate that interview, the better their writing is. And the people yeah. who love doing that that interview, it's usually somebody who I know. I just know we would never be friends because it's such a horrible interview structure. And I think this is a perfect example of that, this Rose Germain right. one. Well, they, the people at the TLS must have been pleased as punch when they asked Rose Tremaine, um one of the questions, which author, living or dead, do you think is most overrated? And but first of all, yeah. how fucking shit is that question? <laughs> we haven't even got to the answer. I know. That yeah. question makes me want to kill I know, people. It's I know. awful. It's, a, it's such a negative. And it's so loaded. And it's just it's yeah. just basically, oh, we're two literary people. At the, and let's just talk about how shit people are who weren't who didn't go to Oxford. Yeah. That's what that question says. This The interview is imbued with privilege. Yeah. Right? So that's one example of how. But her, Rose Tremaine's answer for what author, living or dead, you think is most overrated is no single author but a collective. Let's dare to say it out loud. Contemporary poetry is in a rotten state. 
Having binned all the rules, most poets seem to think that rolling out some pastry-colored prose, adding a sprinkling of white space, then cutting it up into little shapelets will do. I'm fervently hoping for something better soon. Yeah. That that fervently is really cap is the like cap on the gravestone for me. Yeah. Anybody who, um, who who is so confident in their own writing that they they nominate themselves an authority to say like I mean I, to be the, to be honest some of the things she says I in that I agree with. But not but, this. No. No. First of all, she doesn't even limit it to British contemporary poetry, which I'd still have problems with, but could kind of understand a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um. But no, contemporary poetry. Like, I'm sorry, is she high? Yeah. <laughs> like, like we're living through one of the most in- exciting times for poetry that there's ever been. Yep. Um, I like, I'm completely befuddled by yeah. this. I don't understand where it's coming from, except that maybe she just it makes her sound like someone who really liked the way we used to write poetry where everything rhymed and made sense and, mm. you know, sat neatly in its place on the page. That's what her criticism seems to suggest, is yeah. that she wants poetry to not be cut up and not have white space sprinkled about and, you know, just to kind of lie neatly in the drawer. Like, mm-hmm. I don't really... So that's that's kind of what it suggests to me. Binning all the rules. Like, we binned the rules a long time mm-hmm. ago. And, you know, Sandy Parmer has a wonderful kind of response to this on The Guardian where she said, like, did you miss all of 20th century poetry? Sorry. Like, what's the deal here? You know, it's just something that makes you look ignorant. That's right. Now the TLS must have been pleased because, of course, they've gotten you almost don't even want to play this game by talking about this more because all it's going to do. Someone says something. We know how this goes. Right. Someone says something controversial. Everyone freaks out, and then you get the kind of response pieces in The Guardian. And this is, like, how the game continues, yeah. you know? and That's the way the media is now. It's but it's Trolling is, it's is news. It's yeah. bullshit. And when you go down to the end of the story, which is annoying from beginning to end this interview, um, <laughs> you see, okay, well, usually it's someone who has a book to sell, and so they're saying something, you know, Will Self is the master of this. Yep. Timing, like the absolutely <laughs> insane, twice in this yeah. insane statement mm-hmm. to coincide. Or The novel is dead. Yes, or what's the name? Uh, you know, the American one. Um, who, oh, Jonathan Frank Franzen. Not Jonathan Franzen, although he's also, does he have a new book out? Because he was giving rules for writing. Yeah, he's a big it. fan of, he's, 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 he's definitely his known rules himself for as writing, an authority. Yeah, his rules for writing have been making the rounds and getting a lot of controversial um, stuff. But this, she did this to promote her appearance at the Hay Festival Winter Weekend on November 24th. Lord. Which is coupled with the fact that this is in the TLS, which I don't really have much time for, um, and connected promoting the Hay Festival. Yep. I mean, I guess if you want to appeal to people who might buy tickets for the Hay Festival Winter Weekend. That's exactly the, things exactly the kind of things thing you would say. say. It's yeah. like a, waving a flag that says, yeah. my sort of people, come over here. Yeah. Right? I su- yeah. And I, I have to say, I'm a card-carrying member of the Hay Festival Brigade. I, I do go. <sighs> I know, I'm one of them. But I almost go, I, I almost go to get annoyed. I'm like my stepfather who reads newspapers articles that he knows will annoy him just to get annoyed i there's a there's a bit of that in me as well when i go 
I think that a lot of these authors like Rose Tremaine and um, I won't name, I, we've already slated enough authors on this podcast. I'm not going to say anymore. But um, we've also talked really positively about yeah. way more authors. And to be honest, we're punching up. Yeah. Let's be honest. Um, so <laughs> the ones, but the, when you go to the Hay Festival, the ones who are of that ilk, they don't do, they don't sell very well. Everyone goes and sees the more popular authors, which I think is quite, which I quite get a kick out of as well. And I like, I like going to, um, like Salman Rushdie, for instance, I went and watched him and he could, it was only half full. Salman Rushdie. Uh, and then, you know, uh, someone like Lionel Shriver at the same time rammed. Yeah. So I think there's, there is some kind of, I don't know, is it schadenfreude? That I, I, I quite like going and seeing the big, the big, uh, big mouth authors kind of, the old school ones kind of. Suffer well, this is how that's, the sausages nice. are made. You know what I mean? Yep. Like Lionel Shriver, that's who I was trying to think of before when I was saying, oh, you know, whenever they have a book come out, they say some completely ridiculous thing yeah. that makes everyone like completely yeah. shit. She knows how to play the game better than oh, anyone. Completely. She has you gone know? too far a couple times, I have to say. She has, and I've seen her. I've seen, seen events with her. Mm. Um, they but, are very entertaining. I'll give you that. Yeah, but I mean, but the thing is, I have to be completely honest with you here mm. and say that the level of interest I have in the whole freaking dog and pony show yeah. here is like zero to nothing. I mean, my attitude is kind of like not my monkeys, not my circus, you <laughs> right. know? I just don't give a crap. Like I want to I want to hear about good writing. I want to read good writing. Yep. And I'm not fussed about people making money off it. Really? Know? Oh, you are a Oh, my word. <laughs> I don't want to participate in the commodification of the writing industry in this way. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just not interested in it. it I understand a... people need to be paid. Yeah, it's a dangerous... They need to sell books. I get all of that. Yeah. But the kind of, like, whipping up of this kind of crap mm. and this kind of controversy in order to get people to buy tickets to a literature festival, I yeah. just think, I don't care. I genuinely think it's snotty... Oxbridge folk getting pissed off that uh, other people have the nerve to write things. I think it's as simple as that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's, it to me, it smacks of, because you think, okay, well, what, what poets is she talking about here? Mm-hmm. Is it, you know, the kind of performance poets, you know, they're the ones who gen- generally get bitched about Kate Tempest and Holly, mm-hmm. Holly McNish. We were talking about that not yeah. so long ago. Probably two of my favorites, review. frankly. The Pian Review. Um, two of my favorite article. poets, I should say. Not too oh, really? Much. I, I love Kate Tempest. Do you don't like Kate Tempest? I don't really like her stuff. Oh, wow. But I will defend to the death her right to do it mm. and to be respected for it, to be respected for doing it well. Yep. Um, so absolutely someone who really has a craft and is trying to do it, and she's a performance poet. You know, and yeah. a kind of and, and a pop star. Like I mean, yeah, it's, anybody who a lyricist, can do that. Yeah, you know? anybody she, who can bring you know poetry into the mainstream. Good on you in any yeah. respect. I don't care what it is. So I mean, a book of her work or of Holly's work, that's not the form that it should be in. We've had this kind of talk mm-hmm. before. I mean, it can yeah. be in that form, and I'm sure they do a good job of getting it into that form. But like, that's not what it's about. You know. Um, and so anyway, I think, yeah, there's just a lot of, sure, there's a lot of crap poetry out there, but that doesn't mean that, like, poetry in it, the actual form, you know, the, the writing mm-hmm. is nothing now. Yeah. 
or even less, or maybe not nothing, but less than what it once was back in the glory days. Yeah, I don't really understand. I think sometimes, too, people's personal experiences of, you know, people don't keep up. I think that's what really happens. I don't know if Rose Tremaine writes poetry. Maybe she does, mm. actually. Maybe she reads a lot, and this is her opinion, but I think... She must do in order to say something like that. Well, I don't know. She can't be that ignorant where she wouldn't read a lot of poetry and say that. I don't know. I, I Maybe it's a matter of taste. Who yeah. knows? Anyway, what we got next? Um, that's it, man. That's it? Yeah. Jesus, I have no concept of time. Yeah. So we okay. need to end it on something a little bit positive. All right. Um, sound of crickets. Yeah. Maybe not. Um, yeah. Positive. <laughs> Enjoy your uh, Theresa May and Jeremy <laughs> Corbyn debate. Oh, is there a debate? Oh, have you not heard about this? No. Uh, it's almost like I don't work in journalism. It was just announced right? today. I know. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Funny as that. Come to Media City. <laughs> tell me what's going on. Rob. Like, how fucking Orwellian is it when you've got the prime minister and the leader of the opposition doing a televi- televised debate on something they both agree on? Like, yeah. they're, they're both debating the same side of the argument. Ah, uh, it's ridiculous. How, like, I mean, that... Orwellian isn't a big enough word for that. It's insane. Oh, God. And they're both so terrible at debating as well. Well, actually, Jeremy Corbyn's all right. That's when he, he's terrible at everything else. His is debates, he really? Yeah, he, he's 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 good. He's he's quite good at that, surprisingly so. And he's very good at rallies and stuff when he's talking to his own people. But you know. Yeah, I just don't see either of them being pretty. I think I'm still in the American. Well, mindset. May definitely won't be. Well, yeah. she, the difference is the only reason she's doing it is because she has she actually has something to show for it this time, and Jeremy Corbyn's got nothing. If he comes out, like, it's just, I can't even believe he accepted it. Like, what's he going to debate? How, how, we don't like your plan. Well, what's your plan? Well, I haven't got one. Okay, end of debate. That's exactly yeah. how it's going to go. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And it's, it's, it does, it's all for nothing anyway, because the bloody thing's going to be voted down. Yeah. So I, it's just an absolute shit show. So that's order. a good thing to end on, Rob. Yeah. Because that's cheerful. Okay, yeah. That you know, we have cheerful. to cut that out. I um, might leave it in. We'll see. Yeah. We need something else that's cheerful then. What do, what? Um, Lydia Davis is awesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe we just have to that. leave it at that. Um, we don't really have any news. Um, is this our last podcast before Christmas? Do you know what? I was going to ask you that. Can yeah. we sneak another one in? Yeah. Okay, let's sneak another one Possibly. in. Possibly. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> let's sneak another one in. Rob. Then. Rob. I know. This is what happens, Rob. When, when, you, this is what happens when you get ill. No. I am weary. Let me rest. <laughs> um, yeah, so Rob's going to make me do another podcast before Christmas. Yeah, you cannot have that kind of attitude. And also, mm-hmm. just to make matters worse, a bag exploded. Uh, sorry, a pen exploded in my bag. Did it? A pen exploded in my bag. It got blue ink all over everything. It got it all over your nice um, rainbow pride lanyard. rainbow lanyard. Yep, that's right. And it's all over freaking everything. I mean, oh. everything has blue ink on it. Well, um, at least your teeth don't hurt. That's true. So I've got, I'm an ink-stained wretch over here. Yeah, and I've got something lodged You've in You've gone British. It's weird. I think it's, I think there's actually something stuck in it. Oh, man. Why don't you talk more about that in detail, Rob, Maybe on not. the podcast? We're, we're really struggling to let, finish on a positive, aren't we? The world sucks. <laughs> a pen exploded in my bag. I know. Right? First world problems. See, now that we, that we both have, like, full-time jobs, we've got, like, no real problems anymore. 
Yeah. You've, got, you've changed, Kate, though. I have so many problems, Rob. Yeah. I, but I don't feel comfortable talking about them on Maybe the podcast. Maybe we should do that one time. Talk about our lives? Do a, uh, a deep dive into your real big problems. Wow. Could we do that? We yeah. could make it a Colin show. <laughs> yeah. Like, help advise Kate. Yeah. Help Kate sort her life out. <laughs> Kate Feld life hack. Yeah. Right? And we'll That's, just... Yeah. We'll, we'll get people... I'll be like, okay, so this is my issue... A pen just exploded in my bag. Now Everything's what? covered with ink. Yeah. And I don't want to live anymore. Um, wow. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and then people can, yeah. It's like, geez, Kate, you've, you're taking this pen thing really hard. That's just the tip of the iceberg, Rob. Yeah. Right? What does a pen really represent, Kate? <laughs> okay. Yes. I think that's more than enough now. That's more than enough. Um, now it's going to be a, a lovely interview with a lovely person, Claire Fisher. Um, her book at the moment, I don't think I mentioned it in the podcast, so I'll mention it right now, is by Influx Press, a short story collection called How the Light Gets In. And this is me talking to her now. Listen. Uh, where did my short story collection come from? Well, actually, it started life as a live art installation. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't really know what it was myself as I was making it. Um, but there's a, there's a thing in Leeds where I live called Light Night where you can put on kind of live art performances. Mm-hmm. And I got a little bursary to, to do one. And I said that I would write loads of very short stories on the theme of light and dark. Aha. Of the title of the collection, how yeah. the light gets in. Um, and I would kind of go out into the community and run workshops and activities with people to kind of get ideas. Um, and I did that and I just yeah had to write a lot of stories in a short amount of time and then I got some actors to perform them oh, wow. and we kind of made it into a kind of decorated a room and made it into kind of an interactive performance which was really fun it was the only thing I've ever done like that and that was really nice wow that's is that uh, did you get a is it from the arts council yeah it was like a really little like emerging artist bursary or something oh, yeah. it was um, yeah at that time it was I think I hadn't really wasn't really sure what I was doing with my writing. And I was like, okay, I've got this now. Yeah. I said I'm going to do this. I've got to actually do it. Um, and I think having that kind of theme, even though the stories are all quite wide ranging, it kind of meant they always had a kind of underlying like purpose or kind of angle. Uh, and then after the performance is over, I thought, oh, actually, I've got almost a collection. Um, but then I kept writing, I kept writing. Read lots of Lydia Davis, which is probably quite obvious if mm-hmm. you read it. Um, not to compare myself to her, I think she's, yeah, I, she's sort of like I get my it. idol. Yep. Um, and then after a while, I was like, oh, I've actually probably got a collection here. I've got a lot of really short stories, but are they even proper stories? They're really weird. Mm-hmm. Who, what kind of publisher might like this? And I was like, oh, Influx, they publish weird stuff. I'll see if they like it. And they did. And so they were the first pers- people you sent it to? Yeah, I, like at that point I um, didn't have an agent or hadn't written a novel. Um, oh, you wrote these before the novel? Yes. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> um, and so I thought oh, there's no point trying to interest an agent with these because they're like really weird. Yeah. They're not like anything that's going to be like bestseller or anything. Yeah, I thought, I, I don't know, just from what I'd heard, it seemed like it would be so hard to interest an agent or a big publisher in yep. a short story collection. This wasn't even, strictly speaking, a short story collection. So yeah. I thought there's just no point um, and I thought you know I want to go with someone who really likes this and yeah, yeah. Influx seemed really into it and I met up with Kit 
Kales, the editor, and he seemed to just really get it, and he had loads of great ideas about how to make it better. Mm-hmm. And I kind of worked with him over quite a long period of time on the stories. Yeah. Then wrote the novel, and that got published, and that kind of threw a bit of a spanner in the works. Um, oh, okay. Uh, so then, yeah, the short sort of it was decided that the short story collection should come out after the novel. Right. Um, for various is that because, reasons. Yeah, because Penguin <laughs> is uh, talking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but well, basically, yeah. Uh, but actually, I think it's probably worked out best that way. Um, yeah. Although, yeah. Not only that, but I would have thought that um, Influx would uh, would like the publicity of uh, a novel that does well. That's, you know, to promote the short stories. Yeah, I think it's worked out thought, quite yeah. well, and I think people had already read my novel and enjoyed it, and then mm-hmm. they're more likely to read my short stories although they're quite different I think like, yeah I do um, so I don't know whether people would read one would enjoy one would necessarily enjoy the other yeah um, depends there was uh, a part of me that was going to get you to read one I don't often do it but because your this friction is so short yeah I could be, I'll read it can one of the short ones, happen yeah. yeah I might read The Genius okay I don't know it's just a short good <laughs> I read it before okay. um the genius. Her mind is bursting with great ideas, but other people have always thought of them first. Not only have these other people thought of them, they have often turned them into real things you can buy in shops or on Amazon. This is why she has stuck folding ties in a TM Lewin in the interminably draft-ridden Leeds train station. Her only customers are businessmen pissed off because their train back to London is delayed. There are a lot of delays at this station. The managers do not allow her to wear gloves because gloves, they claim, would damage the ties, which means her hands are permanently dry and numb, which means she has trouble tapping her ideas into her smartphone at the end of her shifts, <laughs> which is another reason she is stuck here, trying to smile at businessmen whose eyes don't bother to hide the fact that they hold her personally responsible for the fact that they, important businessmen with important businesses waiting for them back in London, are still stuck here too. Very good. Now that does sound like you to me because <laughs> you said to me before we got on the podcast mm. that you've done some interesting jobs while you were working um, uh, sorry when while you, you were writing yeah I've, I've done some some interesting boring jobs yeah was that <laughs> um, one of them that, that was not specifically one of them I've never worked in a chai shop mm-hmm. um, I have spent a lot of time in these train station it is very drafty yeah um, I do hate being cold <laughs> my hands are cold right now yeah. um, that's right um, on this podcast we make people suffer almost almost to the point of hypothermia i'm wearing a massive jumper yeah um, <laughs> and a jacket <laughs> and, so you know. and another shirt yeah, as yeah. well yeah <laughs> um wait, wait i have some gloves i'm gonna put some gloves in um very exciting <laughs> um yeah it's like 17 degrees yeah it should be said it's pretty cold yeah <laughs> um so yeah i think like I don't know, I think a lot of jobs i've had i had this feeling that kind of just my life is like seeping away from me and like Especially say I wake up and I feel really like alert and creative and then I just go to like sit in an office and not really do very much or sit in a shop and just like move things from one place to another or like answer stupid questions or fill in a spreadsheet. You just think, really? Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's more to, I could achieve more than this. But then like by the time you're free from your job, you're like, oh, what can I achieve? I just feel a bit dead. And just talking to friends and stuff, I think that's quite a common feeling of, you know, you you're trapped at work and you're like oh yeah I could be more and then 
when you have free time, you actually don't really know what no. to do with it. No, or... I, I could, I can't possibly relate to that more, because it, that it's that, that's been my life. <laughs> it's quite a universal thing. It's, you it know, is, feeling yeah. like you should be doing something else, but what is the other yeah, thing? Yeah. What is it? And then when you are doing the thing you should be doing, you actually still want to distract yourself, and you go on Twitter and yeah. whatever. So how did you do it then? How did you write uh, a novel in a short story collection um, when you're working full time? Yeah, I was working full time. And you've got a PhD as well, is that right? No, no, I've, I'm about to just start doing a PhD ah, now. Okay. So I'm in the privileged position of having time to write and gotcha, do what I want, which nice. is quite strange. I'm, yeah. I'm quite enjoying it. Um, but yeah, I wrote both of those books whilst working full time. In retrospect, I'm like, how did I do it? Um, but I did it through, partly I would write on the train to work. I had quite a, I commuted from Leeds to Halifax, which mm-hmm. not a lot of people were doing. Therefore, I always got a table to myself. Oh. Uh, the train was very slow and often delayed, which often just meant more time on the train. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just quite disciplined, really. I think I just sort of like always make sure I do a little bit each weekend, sometimes a little bit before I went to work in the morning. Mm-hmm. By the evening, no way. Like, evening, the world has destroyed me and I need to just, <laughs> like... <laughs> I'm know. always astounded. I've had a few people on the podcast now who do that, who write in the mornings when they wake up and I just that's some that's such a foreign concept to me I know I think even now like I have kind of free-ish time I kind mm-hmm. of if I wake up and get going I can write do quite a lot in a few hours and then after that I'm kind of done mm-hmm. and I don't know or if I don't get going straight away then I never really do the world kind of gets in the way and I start thinking about like practical questions and I start worrying about everything and feeling oh, all yeah. anxious and I just can't yeah can't get in the zone was yeah, a lot, it's funny you mentioned that because um, a lot of your stories kind of um, deal with, I think, ex- anxiety and mm, yeah. a li- to, maybe to you know, lesser extent than some, obviously. But is that something that um, you suffer from? Uh, I, I mean, I'm medically diagnosed having anxiety, but yeah, I guess I'm Just quite an anxious, person. I'm a normally anxious person. Yeah. Um, Me too. Yeah, I think kind of everyone is, and yeah. I think like often. I don't think everyone is. I think maybe stupid not people everyone. aren't. Okay, yeah, maybe, maybe that's. <laughs> that's a cynical me. Yeah, that's right. That's okay. a cynical and uh, self-facing person. Uh, I don't know. I feel like often there's just like sometimes there's just been too much going on in my mind, and writing is one way to kind of like diffuse that or kind of yeah. like it feels like a kind of release and a way to yeah. kind of sort sort it a little bit, make a shape out of it. Yeah. What is your PhD in? Uh, failure. <laughs> so, well, that's, that's what I've been saying about. Uh, so it's a it's a practice based creative writing PhD. Okay. So I will have to do some piece of creative writing and linked critical writing. Yeah. That explores how writers can creatively engage with failure. Oh, not really oh genuinely, you yeah, genuinely. Like, right, I'm okay. not even joking. That was right. not even a joke. Uh, but everyone always finds it highly amusing. It's highly um, amusing, but now that I know it's a real thing, it's actually, I think, quite a helpful thing as well, really. Yeah, I thought I'm really scared of failure. I'm such a achievement junkie. Mm. Um, but I thought, well, you know what? Why not spend three years looking at what I'm scared of? Mm. I think often the most interesting things come out of yeah. where the fear is. Or I wallow in it. It's wallow, yeah. Do you? Yeah, well, well, I'll have to, like... Too I'll much. Maybe to, that's an overshare. I'll have to... Into what do you mean by that? I will, yeah, I'm not, that, I don't know if I should go into it any further, do really. Wanna, do you want to discuss yeah. that? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think that failure is something that, as if you are attempting to write anything or be a writer, you have to be friends with. Yeah, exactly. Like, you have to have a relationship with it and mm. 
kind of accept it as a possibility or you never yeah. do anything but even success is often failure yeah if, you, if you're looking at monetary terms well what is success i mean exactly like i could compare myself to loads of people and be like oh look you're so shit yeah. But then, like, often I meet people and they're like, what? You published a book? I know. Oh, my God. That's insane. What? Yeah. So is, are those are the people you hang out with that you surround <laughs> yeah, yourself yeah, with. Yeah. Yes, yes. I can uh, understand why Donald Trump does that. Like, you surround <laughs> yourself with people who tell you how great you are. I could get down with that, I think. <laughs> uh, I just don't want to even be in the same sentence. No. You need to edit him out. Of the, he should not even be in the podcast. Uh, no, okay, fine. Don't we, give we, him we, any more airtime. He's, uh, he's, he's a very hated figure on this podcast, if that counts for okay, anything. Okay, well then that's... Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't saying no, I want to be I like Donald... I, okay, I, I you know what? I did say that, didn't I? Yeah. Whoa. You said that. I mean... I think, you know, I better... So maybe ask yourself some hard it. questions, Rob. You I don't to want ask to. yourself some questions. <laughs> yeah. I mean... I don't want to be like Donald Trump. I just want the accolades... That's what they all say. Yeah, That's how it starts. That is how it starts. That's how he started. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't want to be like the real Donald Trump, but... Oh, man. Part. What I have I done? Maybe I should tweet him and ask if he wants to talk to me about failure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you're Southern. Yeah. That was almost a question. I, I, you, you tricked me, actually, because I thought you were from Leeds. No. I've just lived there. I live there. there. I just lived there. I lived there for like five years. Yeah. I sometimes say Bath. Yeah, Oof, good. That's good. It's good on you. I sometimes say like tea to refer to an evening meal. Uh, that's that's too dinner. far. That's too far. But I've never said dinner to refer to lunch because that's that's wrong. Wrong. No, but I, you know, I I've lived in the UK for well since two thousand and five, and I refuse to say tea for dinner. I can't. I can't what deal with it. What do you call it? Just dinner. Yeah. Not supper. Well, that's I, what really push people. I say. can deal supper. with supper. Yeah. Supper. It, it, we, I really wouldn't say supper either. I'd say dinner, but tea is a drink. End of discussion. Yeah. I shouldn't say that because... The but sometimes you just want to fit in, you know? Yeah. Just want to fit in. Yeah. <laughs> um, you also have, uh, speaking of leads, don't look at my questions. <gasps> There's ones in here I might not ask. Okay. Um, the, uh, you can look, I don't care. <clears throat> the, um, there's a few stories in here where you, speaking from uh, that you live in Leeds, there's some stories in here where you actually, about Yorkshire, and somewhere you actually speak in a Yorkshire accent. I almost, as, as a cruel uh, person, I almost made you read that one. Oh, God. Yeah, I thought you might <laughs> say, I thought you were going to say, read the one in the most different accents. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because like, oh. there's a Manchester one as well, isn't there? Or have I made that up? I don't think so. Oh, maybe I, mean, I just read it that way. Thinking. Yeah, I think it was a Harvey Nicks reference, and I thought, oh, oh Manchester. Was Harvey, yeah. Yeah, there yeah. was a Harvey Nicks in the East also. Yeah, see, it's so funny, because you've, <laughs> you've written these so long ago now, you can't even remember, and there's no, so many of them. I can't, there's yeah. too many. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I successfully pulled off the Yorkshire ones, but I guess also, I think, like... Well, who am I to say? But <laughs> I, it seemed close. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think also, kind of, I wrote them, what was it? I think it was the... I'd been living in Leeds for, like, one, two years, and it was, like, me kind of trying to, like, make friends with Leeds and make mm. friends with the differences between living there and living in London and the north and the south. And, um, yeah. Yeah, I think you can kind of see that running through the collection. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, so you're kind of... How is it being a southerner living in the north? It must be oh, odd. Yeah, it's so hard. I feel so yeah. oppressed. No, I yeah, can't, yeah, I can't yeah, complain. Yeah. Um, no, it's great. Have you I been down a mine yet? <laughs> I love the north. Um, yeah, I feel really at home there now, I think. Uh, Why? It's just, it, I mean, it sounds like a cliche, but it is really friendly. I think also just living in a city that 
it's kind of a bit smaller compared to London. It's like now that I've lived there, lived there for a few years, I can't really go anywhere without bumping into someone I know. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, hi, hi. Yeah. Which sometimes, you know, can be a bit annoying when you just want to be anonymous. But actually, it's quite, it makes me feel quite nice and friendly and yeah. a sense of community. And I feel like there's enough going on that there's stuff to do, but not so much. Like in London, there's just so much that you're like, oh, my God, oh, I don't want to do any of it. And is it going to be worth an hour on the tube? And is it going to be worth a £10 entrance fee to go and stand in a sweaty basement in Dawson? Mm. Probably not. No. Whereas in Leeds, the similar kind of event would probably be free or like £3. Yeah. And 20 minutes away from your yeah. house, so you think, oh, I might as well go. Yeah. So, you know, talking about nights out, oh. you know, just young people. <laughs> One of the other things about your story is that... Um, it makes a person feel young, I think, reading it. Who isn't? Because <laughs> there's a lot of, you know, it's hanging out with mates and uh, nights out and things like that. And, um, so, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I, th- I told you that before, and I, I actually I actually did enjoy a, a short story collection, which was quite nice. Ooh, another one I liked, and one I think you would like. Have you read Treats by Laura Williams? Oh, I love that. Yeah, I, I knew you would. Excellent, yeah. Yeah, she's been on the podcast, too. Um, I think you guys would be really great pals, actually. Yeah, I have, I have met her a couple of... We actually did a writing workshop together in Manchester uh-huh. a couple of years ago. Um, yeah. didn't, didn't take off, you just like, forget it. No, no, I've seen, seen us, seen her around. Mm. <laughs> I don't know why I expected more of an answer to that, I thought. You wanted like this to be a big story, yeah. there's no big story. I mean. no. See, authors, they just, you know, are you, is there going to be a piece of fiction at the end of your PhD? There might be, there might right. be a piece of experimental non-fiction. Yeah. Who knows? I'm, right. I'm going to be quite open to what kind of happens, and I don't want to. I've seen it as a space that I can create something. It doesn't necessarily have to be like commercial. It might yeah. be. I mean, I should use. I should really use it to write something that could be like another novel or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, well that's not gonna, the point I, of the PhD, right, though, is it? Yeah. Right now, I'm not <laughs> setting any kind of preconceptions. I want to kind yeah. of just actually like see what comes from it. Do you open. are you going to be writing some fiction alongside of it? Are you? Is there, yeah. are, will there be space for you to write other things? I feel things? like I shouldn't, in case anyone from the university is listening. Well, I mean, I'm I'm trying to finish. You've already got the money. Who cares? I'm trying to finish. Uh, <laughs> a, I'm trying to finish a current fiction project. So I need to finish that. Yeah. Anyway, so so already on with that. So you know, this is the thing about we'll writers. See. I have you people on here all the time, and I say, "What are you doing now?" And it's like vague in the extreme. Vague, vague. Did you say vague? No, I say vague, but you, <laughs> vague. Said, you said it weird. You said what did vague. I say? Vague. Vague. Yeah, vague. I'm from another country. Very vague. Just, kind of vague. Well, vague, yeah. Did I say it that way? I don't know I anymore. Don't know. I've, been, I've lived in, a, you could probably relate to this. I've lived in a country now where everyone speaks different than mm. I do for so long that I can't remember how I speak. So it's, I, I think I just speak weird anyway. Like one of my friends from school once said to me like, Claire, yeah, I always thought you were from somewhere else because you just spoke a bit weird. Like, mm. what is your accent? I was like, I don't know. I think that's just how I speak. <laughs> I was pronounced some words a bit wrong. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's what it, it. That's exactly what it is for me now. I can't say the word funny because I, I, every time I say it, it sounds funny to me in my head and everyone and to everyone else at the same time. It's a word that I, <laughs> I have no idea how I used to pronounce it. Funny. It sounds normal to me. Yeah. But now, if you say any word too many times, it just sounds yeah. like nonsense anyway. Yes. Um, um, so you, you can't tell me what you're writing then? I'm writing a novel. Mm-hmm. Do you mean for the PhD or do you mean no, right now? No, fuck the PhD. We talked about that enough. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, fuck the PhD. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry, Leeds University. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, I'm writing a novel, trying to write a novel. It's not finished. Yeah, I'm so not going to tell you what it's fine. about. Not even what it's about? Because no, you think it, it's probably so far along no. now that it won't change now, will it? Surely. No, but I, I just have a slight superstition it. about talking about things. Writers before. are all the same, and it's so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, some are not. Yeah. <laughs> I've met certain writers who will keep telling you the plot of their novel repeatedly throughout really? a single uh, night. Yeah. Really? And each time they'll tell it to you as if they didn't just tell it to you half an hour ah. ago. Yes. And it sounds remarkably like their life, you know. Oh, no. I, it's about somebody trying to finish their novel and not being able to finish it. This is another thing we talk about on the podcast all the time. When do you call yourself a writer? Um, when did you call yourself a writer? What do you mean? If someone said to you, what do you do? Oh, okay. Well, I haven't said, oh, I'm a writer until I guess quite recently yeah I guess after but it got published that's right but actually even then because it was still after I got published I had a full time job for quite a while after that then I had lots of different part time jobs now I'm like about to start a PhD also still doing some teaching work and stuff yeah so and only stopped doing sort of part time work like a few months ago not that long ago so I think it kind of depends. It depends whether I want people to ask about it or not. Sometimes I just say, I say whatever my day job is at the time because mm-hmm. then people usually are not interested. Like, okay, yeah. right, yeah, you work in marketing yeah. or you work in a bookshop, okay, yeah. whatever. But then sometimes if I say I'm a writer and they're like, oh, oh, what do you write? And then and then the next question is, oh, I've got I've got a story idea for a book. That, oh, but sometimes I feel like people just don't quite believe me. Mm-hmm. They're like, I say, oh, yeah, like, I've had a novel, like novels and short stories, and they're like, yeah. "Oh, do you put them anywhere?" And I'd be like, "Well, they've been published," and they're like, "Look at me, like I might be lying to them." Or yeah. Like, but the, you've you've got the extra bit of ammunition. You can say, "Yeah, it's been published by Penguin." Yeah, and then people are like, oh. oh. But, then, but then it just sometimes it leads to too many questions, and then I feel like I'm talking about myself for ages, which makes yeah. me feel really awkward, and like I'm that. Bastard. That's no good for a podcast. No, no, but yeah, but it, this is not, this isn't, life is not a podcast, That's you know? right, yeah. And you're not meant to be just talking about yourself, and, you know, you might also be at a party, you might not be sober, mm-hmm. you might not be wanting to, like, tell someone the entire plot of your novel, and yes. why you ate it, and blah, blah, blah. Fine, I'll let you off the four in the morning. Um, I, a lot of things we've been talking about on the podcast lately, is how dire the writing, uh, it is being a writer at the moment, monetarily and stuff. I want a happy story. So I want the, the story of how you got published by Penguin Viking. Um, writers love complaining, don't they? Is if it I, complaining still? Um, I don't know. I feel like... Uh, so I subscri- I'm a member of the Society of Authors, but when I get the magazine, mm-hmm. it bloody depresses me every time because it's just like... It genuinely makes me feel super anxious. It's like, everything's going to shit. Mm-hmm. Can't make a living as a writer. Yep. It's so shit. Blah, blah, blah. thing is, I've never like being a writer in the heyday when apparently everyone was easily making a full income from it and never had to do anything else so I've always just been quite like surprised and grateful to get any kind of money or anything Mm -hmm. from it really yeah so how Um, did Penguin find you I so I wrote finished the draft of my novel but this point already had the deal for the short stories Mm -hmm. I thought "Mm, it might be nice to like get some money mm-hmm. some substantial money for the novel what a concept if, if you know let's just see what happens sent it out to some agents kind of thinking well you know nothing will come of this 
continued doing my like marketing job in Halifax and then like suddenly had about six or eight Asians who were interested. Wow. It's like, oh crap, like not expecting this. Uh, went to meet them all. They were all very hilarious and yeah. posh and booky and nice. Yeah. And like, I didn't really, I felt a bit flustered. I didn't really know what to do. And um, mm-hmm. anyway, I chose one. She kind of had some quite substantial suggestions about how I should sort of work on the book. So I did that. Eventually, actually not after that long, maybe like a month or something. Mm-hmm. She was like, okay, I think it's ready to send out. She sent it out. I was like, Ugh. yeah, waiting, waiting. Uh, yeah, and then finally, after a week or two, like she was like, "Oh, Viking, I'm kind of interested." Like, oh. um, did they make you do more changes to it? Yeah, and then I, yeah, I spoke mm-hmm. to editor on the phone. They made an offer, and then yeah, it was. I felt it was didn't really sink in for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Like I think for so long, I had um, built up getting that sort of publishing deal as like this kind of golden gate, Deuce, and yeah. I would go through it, and then everything would be absolutely perfect yeah. and I would be a different person and free from any kind of angst yeah not the case no nope. <laughs> yeah um I'm, I've yet to meet a writer that says oh yeah it was uh, it's well then it's like you're just in this whole new well I think it's also like in life there's something really like I think was it Oscar Wilde who said like there's oh, nothing worse than getting not getting what you want apart mm-hmm. from getting what you want yeah 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 learned a lot from it and I really kind of made my book about a book and learned yep. a lot about writing yeah um that I enjoyed it was more the actual process of it like being out there in the public that I found quite nerve-wracking mm-hmm. and just like it's so easy to kind of compare yourself to other books other writers and yep. make yourself feel really shit um mm-hmm. but I think I kind of yeah remember when I asked you that question about anxiety oh, and you sorry. said no yeah no so no, no. <laughs> no see I knew I could tell but this seems normal to me you know? yeah, and yeah, also yeah. all the other writers I know are also like this if not yeah. worse yeah 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 so um but I think actually I I wore myself up wore myself out getting so worried about it in the kind of months around when it was initially published that like come like now like, I actually just felt like quite relaxed about it yeah sort of like for me as a success if I can just sort of like people are reading it Mm-hmm. responding to it and I can kind of keep on I've got enough money to keep on writing having mm-hmm. some time to write which is the case at the moment may not be the case forever but yeah what well, you just have I'm to do kind yeah. of I feel like I, I'm, I'm not complaining yeah <laughs> I have nothing to complain about Good. at the moment really. wow so that's great Claire thank you very much no thanks for having me you're welcome so that was Claire Fisher and uh, she's great uh, a couple of authors that we've got coming up is Sean O'Brien, poet extraordinaire. Um, his was a very entertaining conversation. And then I talked to... What's his name again? Did I mention I'm 44? Is it Garth? What's his yeah, name? Yeah, Garth Marenghi. What's his real name? Uh, I don't know, man. Oh, for Christ's sake. This show is a joke, man. It's okay, no one listens to the bit it, this bit anyway. It's at the end. Now I feel ill. Ugh. Why? Because of that yeah. massive treacle tart? I don't usually eat that much sugar. And oh, well. it like, makes me feel really... <laughs> Neither do I. That was a shit ton of sugar there, buddy. You bet, buddy. Yeah. It's Christmas time. Oh You're allowed to talk God. about Christmas now that my birthday's over. Everyone can talk about Christmas. You're not allowed to before November 26th. Is that right? That's right. Matthew Holness. You're going to have to say who the authors are again, you know? In what? So that you can... So who do we have coming up? 
Oh yes, we have. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking about leaving that 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 bit in. <laughs> One of my favorite things in the whole wide world is making you do that face. And you say that every time. I know. And I get such it's joy. Also, Rob, it's and a podcast. Strength. No one can see the face. The face is okay. She's pinching the bit right in between her eyes, really hard, and staring into the depths of hell, wishing that this was over. Which makes me just want to make it go on and on for oh, longer. Oh, God, Rob, right. you crazy man. So we have, okay, so podcast coming up, Sean O'Brien, poet extraordinaire, great chat, and Matthew Holness, who people will know best from uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, and he wrote a story for Comapress that has now become a horror film called Possum. I went and saw that. It was very scary, and I don't watch horror films, so it was very difficult for me. Yeah. But he is wonderful, uh, lovely guy, and a lot of fun. <laughs> I just realized we've been dissing Oxbridge people, and he's one of those. Oh, but anyway, okay. that's okay. <laughs> I've been dissing Oxbridge people. Okay. No. Matthew won't listen to this bit, it's fine. It'll just be our last secret. Bye. Bye.